Well, uh, as you've been welcomed many times, let me just offer my welcome to you as well. Uh, my name is Matt. Uh, I help lead the team that leads Mosaic, and my privilege to kick off this new preaching series. As uh, for the regulars, you know that we've uh, been looking at the Book of Acts uh, all this year. Uh, it's an exciting book to look at, given our vision. If we were to sum it up in three three words, it would be seeing God transforming lives, and that's what the Book of Acts is all about: so the transformation of the early church and the gospel going out throughout the earth and uh, it's been great doing that and uh, personally and I know many of you have been inspired afresh by the example of the early church. It's very different actually that experience from when I first became a Christian. I became a Christian at 14. Uh, I don't come from a a Christian family um, and I probably spent the next seven years sadly uh, finding out how not to be discipled by Jesus. In fact I discovered that I was being discipled by everyone but Jesus. Uh, My friends, my family, my hurt, my pain, my past were all influencing me much more than Jesus Christ, which meant that I always struggled during those years to become more like him. I needed uh, for someone to show me uh, that culture was discipling me. And I needed someone just to lift the veil, to show me the depth of which its um, effect was affecting me. And uh, we thought it would be worth just cutting into this sort of big series on going and seeing the nations come to Christ, to doing a quick five-week series on how God changes us, and then we're going to go back into the book of Acts. Um, I personally in those seven years was extremely frustrated because I'd hear preachers talk about the transformation that Jesus brings to our lives but I was experiencing absolutely none of it and so I felt this deep pressure to conform I felt this sort of huge guilt for knowing that inside everything was wrong but on the outside I had to sort of present like a good Christian attitude and a good Christian behaviour I felt this huge need to fake it and pretend and that is the last thing that we want to build here at Mosaic we want authenticity, we want vulnerability but we actually want lives transformed and so the, the point of this next five weeks is to go below the surface and to equip you guys so it isn't just something you talk about but something you experience um, going back I wish if we could just go to the pitch of the iceberg I wish someone did explain this to me but as you guys know an iceberg it's a lot bigger underneath the waterline than it is on top and if this represented my life the bit that you can see is the bit that I present to you uh, but actually what drives my life what's foundational to my life is what's below the waterline what's in the heart what's going on underneath the surface but I spent my early Christian years worrying about what was up top and not bothering with what was down bottom and it was the bottom bit that was absolutely key I needed to change in a deeper way because the problem was in deep uh, but sadly I was completely unaware and my experience is this like for many many Christians we know a lot of truth we know who Jesus is we know why he came and we know that he sets us free but our experience so often is a long way from that and it's often because we're concentrating what's above the, the waterline not what's below 
And so for the last couple of years, we've been developing a tool, a discipleship tool, to help people understand what's really going on so that they can fight in the right places and allow God to transform them. And it's called The Tale of Two Trees, and it's taken from Jeremiah 17. And you should have been given a bit of paper on your way in tonight, and hopefully there is a pen around you, so I need you to write things on this sheet of paper. If anyone doesn't have the picture or doesn't have a pen, if you just put your hand in the air, we will get the things you need to you. Just put your hand in the air if you are lacking. I think someone's lacking down here. There's a few more in the middle there. So uh, if we could have one more down the front here, Megan, that'd be great. And what I'm going to do tonight is it's a little bit more seminar style. It'll be a little bit interactive. It'll perhaps be different from the normal preaching where we go verse by verse through a scripture. Um, but my aim tonight is to be as helpful and as equipping as possible. And I hope you're up for that. So here we go. The Bible describes in quite a few different places the process of becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus, being someone who is a disciple who makes disciples. And in Jeremiah 17, you find a really helpful picture that summarizes that process of becoming more like Jesus. It's found in Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through to 10. I think you've got some of the verses on your sheets, but it will also come up behind me. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush or a tree in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes and they will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes, its leaves are always green, and it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So what you've got in front of you is a picture of two trees that represent two different types of people. The fruitful tree is, represents the life of a disciple maker, someone who's a disciple of Jesus. Whereas the a thorny tree represents one who turns away from God, uh, like a tree producing thorns. Now it's important for you to know this. If you're a Christian here tonight, the fruitful tree is your true identity in Christ. We believe you become a new creation when you come to Jesus. You're a saint, not a sinner. Christ has done a work in your life and that is you. So when you turn to the person next to you and say, you are a fruitful tree. Very nice. I bet you've never said that to someone before. Well done, tick that off your list. You are a fruitful tree. However, however, the unfruitful tree represents the reality of our lives. Often we find ourselves producing thorns in place of fruit because we start to trust in ourselves and others rather than trusting in the Lord. So the process of discipleship is becoming what God has already made you to be, a fruitful tree. So both these trees have several things in common. First up, you've got the heat. So in the box at the top, below the sun, do you want to write heat? And the heat represents your life circumstances. Both trees feel the heat of the sun, 
but one thrives while the other struggles. Verse 8 tells us that the fruitful tree doesn't fear when the heat comes. Heat represents our life circumstances with all its blessings, difficulties and temptations. Your background, how you're brought up, what your family situation is, how you came to faith, all the way through to the stuff you struggle with now, problems in relationships or disappointment in your marriage or problems with your health or stresses of parenting or an overbooked schedule or loss of loved ones, whatever it is, that's life, that happens to us both good and bad, and that's the heat in our lives. What's fascinating is this passage shows us that no matter what has happened, it is possible to still live a fruitful life as a follower of Jesus. The fruitful tree faces the same heat as the thorny tree, yet still produces fruit despite its circumstances. And I find that interesting because we are conditioned to think that difficulty is something to avoid. But James 1 and many other places in the scriptures tell us that rather than being an interruption into God's work, often hardship and difficulty are part of his plan. And I believe this, if we can just have the next slide, it's not very catchy this, but God is simply taking you where you do not want to go to producing you what you could not achieve on your own. So you would naturally avoid hardship and trial and difficulty, but God takes you often to those places to put you into the fire, if you want, to produce in you some gold that could never be produced unless you are in that place. And that is good news. If you are facing heat in your life tonight, God is not absent from your heat When you're in the middle of heat, you haven't gotten yourself outside of God's will for your life. Rather, heat has the potential for good because it leads us to a place of needing and relying on Jesus like we've never done before. And without surrender, without yieldedness, without brokenness, without that dependence, you will never, ever change. So just to put that out there, like basic lesson of growth. If you do not surrender your life to Jesus, then you will remain in control. And I promise you, you will not see transformation. But if you give your life to God, bit by bit, then he will come in and take it. So not only is there heat, but secondly, there are roots. So on your little um, sheet, if you want to fill out roots down at the bottom there, roots are how we feed. How we feed. Both trees have roots which describe how they grow. The roots are are the means of drawing life and strength, just like you would find in normal trees. So what are the the roots that a fruitful tree has? Well, first up uh, is community. That is a huge way in which we grow together and come before God. One anothering is mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. God's plan is not for anyone to be alone, but rather to be brought up into a family, God's family, and it's together that we grow. I mean, hope you know that, guys. You cannot grow in maturity as a Christian without Christian community. That's why we're in family together, as we help each other grow. But not just that, but secondly, we're given spiritual disciplines, which is a scary term, but spiritual disciplines help us uh, be with God and access the transformation he wants to bring. Things like prayer and Bible study, worship, giving, fasting, simplicity, celebration. The list goes on. These are roots because they're the means of depending on and being with God, drawing strength from him and his word. So where do the roots go? 
Well, according to Jeremiah 17, they go for the fruitful tree, uh, for the fu- fruitful tree into the stream. <laughs> so, the stream over there on the right is what we trust, which is God and the Bible. Verse 5 tells us that the thorn bush draws strength from everyone but God, whereas the fruitful tree, verse 8, extends its good roots to the stream of water, which is symbolic of Jesus, the Bible, and the power of the Spirit, cross-reference with Psalm 1. And this is massive, this. This is so important. The difference between secular and Christian counselling and discipleship is this. That the good food that we rely on, the thing that changes us, is God and his word. It's not about self-help. It's not about finding the light within. It's not about the power of positive thinking. It's about knowing God, Father, Son and Spirit. Understanding the cross and resurrection and having a biblical perspective on eternity. That's the stream that we go into. Theo says, Amen. 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 That's what we believe wholeheartedly. As we feed on these things, as our hearts trust in God, then we produce fruit. But where do we go if we don't go to God? Well, Jeremiah 17 says that we go to the wasteland. This is when we trust ourselves. This is when we draw on anything but God where we rely on our own strength, where we try and stay in control, where we just don't ever look at what's going on below the surface because it's too scary and vulnerable. Perhaps we have an overemphasis on emotions so we just do whatever feels right. We ignore what's really happening. We tend to live a fake life. And whilst it may seem appealing at the time, ultimately this way of life produces thorns because it causes our hearts to turn away from God. And so where do we, uh, if the roots sink either into the wasteland or the stream, where does the transformation take place? Well, again, Jeremiah 17 says it's in the heart. So both trees have hearts, and the heart is the place of transformation. The battle in disciple-making is not for behaviour, it's for the heart. Verses 9 and 10 show us this again. The heart is where all behaviour comes from. It's under the waterline of the iceberg. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So biblically the heart describes us. It describes the real you. It's the combination of mind, emotion, spirit, soul and will. It's the place your worldview resides. It's the place you really make decisions from. It's the steering wheel of your life. Why do you live the sort of life you live? Well, it flows from the heart. The heart is the place where everything we do is shaped by and controlled controlled by our heart's desire and it's the heart that Jesus transforms first and then the behaviour flows from there. And so what does it all produce? Well, if you're dipping into the wasteland and not trusting God, you produce thorns. And thorns are our sinful responses, so you just want to fill that out on on your little diagram. Thorns. Thorns are our ungodly responses to life. Thorns come when our hearts don't trust Jesus. They're external indicators of what's going on in our hearts. And the combination of not feeding on Jesus, not receiving his power, not letting change touch our hearts results in a thorny life. 
The Bible says we reap what we sow. Galatians 5 is very clear what sinful responses look like. And it's this list, verse 19 of chapter 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. You may not understand like all those things, but they are not good. When we recognise these things, the key is not simply to try and change the behaviour, but to realise all those responses come from the heart and reveal where the heart is really at. You know, this is so important because if you're looking in at Christianity, you might see a, like a whole group of people that seem like they've, they're, they're a fruitful tree. They've got lots of really good things going on. And you look at your own heart and you're aware of the thorns. And the temptation is, if I'm going to fit in this family, I need to snip off all the thorns. I need to change my behaviour. I need to become more Christian. And I hope tonight you see that, that uh, we appreciate that you want, you're willing to do all of that to become part of our family. But ultimately that it won't get you anywhere. Because you're not changing the heart. And it's Jesus that transforms our hearts. And so that makes everything quite a level playing field because we are all, we're all on a journey of getting rid of the thorns and moving to a fruitful life by dealing with the heart. You know, I was discipling uh, a a young man who got uh, married fairly recently and he was telling me of some of the issues in his marriage and he said the main one is this and he was very embarrassed to tell me but uh, uh, I've got his permission to share. For him, the main issue as a newly married man with his wife was that he couldn't stand the fact that she left her hair clips all round the house. <laughs> so he was just telling me, it's like, wherever I go, I just find these hair clips, you know, in all the room, the bedroom, my food, you know, everywhere. <laughs> the hair clips are there. And I'm just... You know, most people at that point, if you were discipling him, you probably would say, well, why don't you just chat to your wife about it? Why don't you just relax a little bit? Why don't you just, you know, let it go? It's not the biggest thing in the world. There are bigger fish to fry, I promise you. And he said, I can't. I cannot let it go. So I was like, well, why? Why is this such a big deal? And he said, well, I just love being organised and tidy. I was like, well, why is that such a big deal? He says, well, I just love that, what the peace that it brings me when everything is as it should be. And I was like, well, where does that come from? And he said, well, actually, my mum was always like that. She'd always tidy up, always want a really neat and tidy house. I said, oh, that's interesting. What was going on there? And he said, yeah, well, I'd notice it most when we went to another person's house who wasn't as tidy as us. And she would always make comments about them and judgments because of their untidiness. And so I said, well, how has that affected you? And he says, well, I don't want anyone coming to our house and making those same judgments about us. Ooh, there's a hair clip. You're a really horrible person. (laughs) And, you know, that's what was going on. And so the issue for him in the heart was to do with his security in his identity to be able to overcome the fear of judgment from others. 
and that's what I'm talking about in terms of the iceberg. The behaviour was, I'm a little bit OCD about hair clips. Cut it out, don't be so stupid. No. Go to where the heart is. And if he can change in the heart, then his behaviour with the hair clips will, will, will radically change and change forever if he gets the heart right. So we're looking for fruit. That's what we want to see happen. Fruit is the life of a disciple maker, if you want to fill that in. The fruitful tree represents what a disciple looks like, loving Jesus, becoming more like him, helping others do the same. And it results in good work, or the fruit of the Spirit. You may have heard of them, Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But again, I I can't emphasise more, the behaviour will come as an overflow of the heart when we're rooted in Christ and trusting in him. And so if we can just put the next slide on, Margaret, I want you to see that what you've got before you is is like a spiritual plan or a spiritual map. It's something that you can refer to time and time again. You can put your heat whatever's going on in your lives, on this map, and then you can work out the different things that are going on. Just to help you, let me show you how it works in practice. Um, This happened a couple of years ago, and I I apologise if you've heard it before, but for me, I see this so clearly in this illustration. Um, Basically, I'm not very good at DIY, uh, but we're constantly doing up our house. And uh, a couple of years ago, I took on the downstairs bathroom, the cloakroom, and it was my project and I worked pretty hard at transforming our cloakroom so I sort of sanded down all the wood primed it, painted it I sort of washed down all the walls and ceiling chose my own colour for it uh, which was very brave and then painted the whole thing and everything was looking absolutely bang on and then I realised that we had a little cabinet under the sink where you wash your hands the what are they called? the vanity unit the vanity unit and it had two little knobs on for the two doors uh, that were from the 70s so I thought we've got to change those went to the shop and for some strange reason I didn't just buy new knobs I bought like these C-shaped handles and so after unscrewing these two knobs that were on the doors all by myself and putting them down I was left with two holes in the doors and so for these C-shaped handles it meant that I had two holes but I needed two more holes underneath for the c-shape to fit so I got my power drill out <laughs> and got it all ready and I put the, the 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 handle onto the door put the top on the existing hole and then line the bottom and drew a, a, like a circle around here put a cross in the middle of the circle and drilled the hole and then put the handle back, got the screw, did it, and it didn't fit. I, I, I'd done something wrong. So I thought, I'm a little bit annoyed, but I've got one more go at this. So I did the same procedure, measured This time I got like a spirit level out, and I measured it. I did it three times, same process, round, and I got everything bang on, tried it. I even sort of tried to sort of pretend that I drilled the hole just to see, and then drilled the hole, put the screw in, and again it didn't fit. And literally I wailed like a banshee. I was downstairs, I just went, No! Like the top of my voice. 
the whole house like knew something was up Pip my wife like came rushing downstairs and stuck her head sort of round into the cloakroom and I saw her face appear and I just said not now (laughs) not now so she scampered off I sat down on my toilet and I stared at the four holes and literally I was there 15 minutes just fuming fuming I've ruined everything so it's a discipleship moment if you hadn't guessed and actually we needed to go out somewhere so I had to get in the car with my family I had to talk about it I couldn't hide and Pip's like with the kids she's like come then what's going on and so like I'm like, I'm really cross, I'm angry, I sort of vocalised all the emotion of it, and just like, ah! So like, what's really going on? I said, I just can't believe I've done it again. Every time I try and do DIY, it always goes wrong at some point. So Pip asked the killer question, she said, why does that bother you so much? And that like, gets to the heart of the issue for me, and I said, it bothers me so much, because it really matters what people think so every time you sit on my toilet and look at those handles and see how bad I'm at DIY I feel that and she's like well why is that such a big deal to you and I said well what my house looks like reflects how people see me and I'm suddenly I'm getting wow this is just like putting some handles on a cupboard and what's going on is this deep deal in my heart that produces such a strong emotion so let's look at this diagram the heat in my life is messing up the DIY the roots the things that I've been feeding on uh, sorry the wine that I've been feeding have been too many DIY shows that make that stuff look really easy The wasteland, the way my roots had gone to, the lies that I was believing was that I am what my house looks like and appearance is everything. In the heart, that meant that what was important to me was impressing others, having too high standards and not being allowed to fail. And the thorns that my whole family could see were shame, anger, frustration and wanting to give up. If I'd been putting my roots into the stream... I would have realised that my identity is not based on my DIY ability. Amen. Amen. And the fruit would have been perspective and patience and ability to laugh at myself. And Pip was so good in the car, she got the kids to all express truth about me because she knew that I was believing sort of lies at that point. So does everyone understand the model? Everyone about there? Yeah, I'm getting like five nods, so that's good. (laughs) So it's your turn now. So I'm going to give you an imaginary scenario, and I want you to be the disciple maker, okay? So let's do, uh, what should we do? Let's do Rachel in her late 20s. This is fictional. This is not any Rachels here. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is... Rachel in her late 20s. This is her scenario. She's got a difficult relationship with in-laws, especially when visiting their house. They're quite needy and need lots of attention and encouragement. 
They often complain that they don't see them enough. And because it's so tiring being there, she finds herself feeling frustrated, angry, and sometimes her impatience leaks out and she finds herself being quite rude to them. She often feels like it would be so much easier if she had different in-laws that weren't so demanding. It feels like nothing will ever change and she often feels overwhelmed with the situation and has little hope for it getting better. She now tends to visit less often and makes the visits as short as possible. Imagine you're discipling her. Imagine you've got the little sheet of paper in front of you. I want you, if you can just flick to the next slide, I want you to write down what you think the heat is, the thorns, the heart, the roots, the wasteland, and what it would be for her to trust in the stream and put the roots in the stream and what would be the fruit. Margaret's just going to toggle between those two things, the story and those. So flip your page over, write fruit, and just so everyone gets a good start, the heat. What's the heat? The needy in-laws. Okay, so just get you started. The heat are needy in-laws. Some of you are going to thank me later for this. Needy in-laws. Okay, so can you make a start there and turn to the people around you. You can sit there grumpily and not do anything if you want to. Or you can do it on your own. Or you can turn to the people around you and just work your way through this. You've got a couple of minutes. Be quick. You're there. It's gone quiet. Okay, so the heat is needy in-laws. What are the thorns? What's the bad stuff we're seeing? Impatience. So impatience, distance, distance, frustration, frustration, rudeness. rudeness. What do you think is going on in her heart? She's feeling unworthy of them. Go on, tell me a bit more. Yeah, maybe. I'd say maybe. I'm not sure the story gives us enough, but that's a really insightful comment. So it could be that. Is there also a feeling, though, that she, oh, she gives the impression that they're not really worthy of her time, so they're hard work, and so it yeah. takes a long time. So that means she's being proud, proud probably selfish. I think, ultimately, that's what's going on here. So... How is she feeding? What are the roots? What's she doing to almost make it worse? What's that? So she's sort of, perhaps she's doing a bit of comparison. Perhaps she's, yeah, definitely unhappy with what she's got. She's not content. What else? What's that? Yeah, yeah. So she's almost like churning it round and round, perhaps making it a bit worse. Anything else? She's given up. She's given up, so she's given up. And so she's avoiding. And putting unfair expectations on them and not seeing them as individuals. So she's putting unfair expectations on them and not seeing them as individuals. I would say she's probably gone into coping mode at this point. It's just almost like, let's just keep it. I'm going to try and avoid... I'm just going to get by. There's no hope for change. And that's where it comes toward the lies that she's believing. Because you put your roots into something. What are the lies that she's believing? She deserves better. She deserves better. She has a right to like 
she has a right to enjoy being there and thinking nothing will ever change. What would it look like to trust in the stream? To believe truth. What truth does she need to know in this situation? That it won't always be perfect. And more than that, what would be a great hope? That she's accepted by God already and God can change the situation. She doesn't have to just pretend it's all going to be like never going to change. But God can change the situation. Also, like where would you point her to in the life of Jesus? Like what would be a good story for her to spend time thinking about? So the time that he gets with his family, but there's some really obvious ones. Yeah, so, you know, loving his enemies. I would point her towards that, because at the moment she doesn't get on with her in-laws, they're her enemies. And Jesus manages to love despite not it not always being reciprocated. And how could she do that? How could she actively... Like put her roots in the stream. What would help change her attitude? What would help her believe the truth? Stop thinking negatively. Stop thinking negatively. Reminding ourselves of those truths. Praying for them. And really practically loving and serving them. And the fruit, well hopefully it's patience, it's care, it's support, it's love. So you can see, it's not simple... But it provides a grid. I imagine if you're that person, it's very difficult to pick apart all those feelings and all those different things. It's a loaded conversation. And so this is a spiritual map. It's a guide that obviously is not perfect, but will help you understand what is going below the waterline. And listen, let's come back to this diagram. Um, The first thing, the first way culture wants to disciple us is by telling you that we should live life on the surface and we shouldn't go deep. That you live life for today, you don't dwell on the past and all that sort of stuff. And the first issue to deal with is ignorance. I was ignorant for the first seven years of being a Christian that this stuff really mattered. And this stuff was where the change and transformation was really at. If you just let culture disciple you and you live an ignorant life, what will be the thorns? What will your Christian life look like? What do you think? A lie. It'll be a lie, it'll be pretense, you'll think you'll have to fake it. What else? Yep, you'll expect the change to come to you, but it never will. Immaturity and unreality. So you'll think you're someone you're not. And it will become about knowledge, not about actions. You'll become someone who knows a lot, but doesn't live any of it out. We don't want to be those sort of Christians, do we? And so a revolution needs to happen. And so the antidote to ignorance is paying attention to God's work in your life. It's needing to recognise and engage your emotions. It's surrender. 
and it's looking at your past and how it impacts your present. It's paying attention. It's needing to recognise and engage your emotions. It's surrendering and it's looking at the past and how it impacts your present. Next week we've got a guest speaker in our last Sunday here called Andy Bramall. He's someone that I hugely respect from Newcastle who is brilliant at this sort of stuff. And so we're going to have a great week next week. My encouragement would be this. Take these bits of paper away with you and put yourselves on it. So write down what the heat in your life right now and just let everything flow from there. And then in your discipleship triplets or in your mission groups or with your trusted friends, start to unpack it together. Get good at this stuff. Particularly if you're someone that's lived on top of the waterline for most of your Christian life. I want you to see that there is an, uh, an offer available tonight and for the rest of your life to allow God to change your heart and the transformation that we preach about can be a reality in your life. Just to say hands up here in the room if you have felt the gospel transforming your heart in that your behaviour looks different. Hands up. I mean that's a beautiful thing right there and that's what we're after in this church. That's the sort of church we want to be. Amen. Amen. Should we stand together? Let's sing. Thank you so much for being patient, listening so well, and engaging with this material. You may have become a Christian in this church and just experienced that sort of transformation and and just thought, you know, that's how Christianity is. But, you know, I. I was a Christian for a long time before I experienced anything like that and what a joy isn't it to be in a church family where we're seeing God transform our lives but he's not done yet is he? There's lots more work to do and so let's bow our heads shall we for a moment. Heavenly Father thank you so much uh, that you're taking us from one degree of glory to the next. Thank you the work that you've started in our lives will be brought through to completion. Thank you you never fail Uh, us thank you you never quit on us thank you you love us unconditionally and there is great power in the gospel for transformation and i pray for anyone here tonight that just is desperate for change desperate for to experience the gospel at work in their hearts lord i pray for faith pray for hope pray for courage even if it takes a lifetime lord jesus none of this is simple or easy i pray for grace to hang in there for the whole journey and uh, God we pray for a church that is a light to the nations that you're working in us and through us that people can see Jesus because of the way that we love one another and the way that we love the world Amen